Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. On today's show, we're talking about the signs of stress in the construction industry. It's no secret that many developers have put projects on hold as a result of higher interest rates. When we talk about counterparty risk, that term conjures up an image that we heard a lot during the great financial crisis. It started in 2008. It's the result of an asset being held by one party on their balance sheet, and it's a liability on another party's balance sheet. That's on opposite sides of the ledger. If the liability can't be met, then the asset on the books for that other counterparty might not be properly valued and might need to be written down. We saw the cascade of dominoes across the entire banking system. At the time, the Federal Reserve recognized the linkages between different counterparties, and they've attempted to alter the structure of the banking system by encouraging banks to borrow directly from the Fed or putting excess reserves on deposit at the Fed. That way, if the Fed is the counterparty in most cases, the systemic risk to the banking system would be reduced. Sounds good in theory. Well, on today's show, we're going to look at another form of counterparty risk that is rarely considered. It was brought to our attention in the last few days. Our own due diligence processes are being strengthened as a result of what we've observed. Learning from your own mistakes is how a lot of people learn, but it's far less expensive to learn from other people's mistakes. And this is one of those instances when we dodged a bullet and we have the opportunity to learn from the misfortune of others. We've got several storage projects in our construction pipeline across several states. We have projects in Florida, Utah, Colorado, Texas, and Idaho, just to name a few. We naturally engage several contractors in the tendering process during the pre-construction phase. One contractor seemed very attractive. They had an attractive bid, and it was tempting to accept their bid. The company was vertically integrated. They had also acquired a steel manufacturing company, which on the surface made it look like an ideal fit for one of our storage projects. They also acquired a cement company. On Thursday of last week, staff at the company were notified they were being let go and the entire family of subsidiary companies was being disbanded. The company in question is called Maker's Line. They had an in-house architecture team, metal fabricator, a concrete company, and the general contractor at the core was the company called Maker's Line. The company built a reputation, unfortunately, over the last couple of years of not paying its bills on time. And the internet is lit up with stories from subcontractors who were owed money. I've noticed one thing across general contractors that have failed, at least my own direct observation. They all bid for new projects with aggressive pricing in the weeks and months leading up to their ultimate failure. So if you have a half-finished project and your GC goes under, what do you do? In many cases, subcontractors are owed money. There could be mechanics liens on the development projects. Many large projects will be properly protected by a payment and performance bond. The bonding company will be responsible for carrying the cost of completing the project. In those instances, the original contracts generally should be honored and the subs are incentivized to complete their work as well. But if there was no payment performance bond, then the developers faced with the possibility of paying subs who owed money to keep them on the job. Hiring a new general contractor will involve a rebid of the project. If the original GC who is out of business now made a low-ball bid in order to get the work, chances are high that the cost of completion will be substantially higher once the new contracts are put in place. The general contracting industry is notorious for GCs robbing from one project to cover costs on another. It's basically a variation on a Ponzi scheme, except it involves multiple construction jobs instead of commingling investors' monies to pay a rate of return to earlier investors. That's the classic definition of a Ponzi scheme, but it's happening in construction as well. 
This particular company in question had dozens of projects underway and hundreds of employees. The website's been taken offline, and the reports that I'm reading suggest that many of the subs were spending a lot of their time doing side jobs so at least they could continue to have income stability. Maker's Line was not paying its subs on time, and the subs would often take work elsewhere. The fact is Maker's Line had already built a reputation of not paying its subs, and they were already lawsuits before the courts for non-payment. These are items of public record, which can be easily checked as part of a due diligence process. The warning signs had been visible for more than a year. In this instance, we got lucky. We did not uncover the signs of trouble, although if we had taken steps to look, we would have certainly seen the signs. As a result of this one company's failure, there's dozens of projects that are left in an uncertain state. So right now the focus is on Maker's Line, but it's entirely possible that Maker's Line was owed money as well from other developers who'd not paid their bills. Perhaps that was the real root cause of the business failure. This is another form of counterparty risk, a problem in one developer's project cascading onto other developers through the general contractor as the link it'll cause the dominoes to fall. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.